the year 1953. A plane touches down at Smithies Airport in Sydney. On board is an American named Lee Gordon. The Australian music scene will never be the same again. From then until now, these are the stories. Hey there, this is Josh Hersom and you're listening to Awesome Aussie Songs. This episode is on one of the highest selling Australian acts of all time, Air Supply. We take a look at their debut hit single, Love and Other Bruises. A special guest is Air Supply's lead singer, Russell Hitchcock. When it comes to international groundbreaking chart success, Air Supply are one of the most popular bands to ever come out of Australia. Their music is acclaimed worldwide. They stand alongside acts like ACDC, The Bee Gees and In Excess. Air Supply have conquered both North and South America, Europe, Asia and of course the country where it all kicked off, Australia. In the USA, they have had 8 top 10 hit singles including a number 1 on the Billboard charts, with Air Supply declared the biggest selling pop group of the 1980s. On the Billboard charts, they have even equaled the Beatles' record of having seven consecutive singles reach the top five. They have sold over 50 million singles and albums worldwide. Their power ballad style of rock is often derided for not being manly enough. But hey, let's face it, there's nothing wrong with a bit of romance. And isn't it love that makes the world go round? Anyway, the band's number of fans far outweigh their detractors. And one thing is undisputable, the music of Air Supply has spanned generations and is timeless. The two mainstays of the group are vocalist Russell Hitchcock and guitarist, vocalist and songwriter Graham Russell. To clear up any confusion, given that we have two Russells, it's easy to remember it this way. Graham is the tall blonde one, and Russell once owned the coolest afro ever grown by a white man. We were lucky enough to speak with Russell from his home in Atlanta, Georgia, and while the audio isn't the greatest, and we apologise for the reduced sound quality, we thought what Russell had to say and the air supply story was worth telling anyway. Russell was born in Melbourne in 1949. In the southern states of Australia, the sport of Aussie rules often brings on a near-religious-like experience for its supporters. Like most kids growing up in Victoria, Russell was no different. I was a Carlton supporter. Uh, I used to, in fact, my high school was, uh, was Princess Hill High School. I used to live across the street from the uh, Carlton football ground. But when I was in my teens, I played baseball for Carlton, so I was always, um, you know... A, a, a big fan. I, mean, I used to go see, you know, Alex Jezelenko and Sergio Silvani and John Nichols and those guys when I was a kid. So uh, a lot of great memories from that area. Russell was able to see the Beatles in concert when they toured Australia. As Beatlemania took over Melbourne, a young Russell Hitchcock was swept up in all the excitement that came with having the world's hottest band playing in your city. You know, at that period, um, 
In fact, a school friend of mine when I was in high school brought me a 45 recording of the Beatles. I think it was I Want to Hold Your Hand or something. And, you know, I'd heard a, a, quite a bit about them. I mean, I was only 15 then, so. Uh, but what my dad was a singer and my sister was a part-time professional singer. And the, the music I was exposed to was was just vocalist, you know, and it sounds real, like I'm an old fart. And that was like Tony Bennett and, and Frank Sinatra and... You know, Matt Munro, uh, there was a, a woman singer called Julie London, Dusty Springfield, of course. So it wasn't until I um, I went to actually went to see the Beatles, uh, as as is well known now. In fact, that Johnny O'Keefe was on the same bill as the Beatles at concert. Um, and when I saw them, I thought, wow, this is something else. And from that day forward, even though I never uh, even thought about being in music as a career, um, I just devoured everything I could read about and bought all their records. Uh, unfortunately, my curly hair wasn't suited for a Beatle haircut then. Um, still isn't. Still isn't. Uh, you know, I, I, I bought Beatle boots and Beatle suits and I subscribed to their magazine. They had a monthly magazine out. Uh, and obviously, as history has proven, um, you know, they're one of the most influential bands of all time. They changed. They changed songwriting. They changed the fact that people wrote their own songs. To, to a large degree. I think they were the first act that had lyrics on an album. I think they were one of the first bands to play uh, stadiums. Uh, they just did so many things that were so innovative, change language, haircuts, you know, the rest of it. So uh, it was a very exciting time. And uh, in Melbourne then, I used to get out a little bit. You know, I, I went to some clubs uh, and I saw, you know, bands like the Purple Hearts, um, of course, the Twilights with Glenn Shorrock was one of the first bands I ever saw. I saw them at Myers Department Store at a lunchtime concert. Um, so I always had a great in- interest in music, and as, as much live stuff as I could get to see, I would certainly go along, but certainly never realising I'd be in, in, uh, in, in music. Around the world, the music of Air Supply has been the soundtrack to conceptions, births, weddings and funerals, and just about every other life-changing event in between. Amazingly, it wasn't until he was 25 years old that Russell was finally persuaded by his girlfriend to try his hand at singing. Well, I just, you know, I never thought about it. I mean, I, I had responsibilities uh, from when I was 20. I got married very early and had a kid pretty soon after that. So I figured, you know, that that was my lot, kind of. And I had a great job, don't get me wrong. Um, but, but I thought those responsibilities, and you know, my dad was the same. He had a great voice and he used to sing part-time, but he... You know, he worked very hard for a living, as did my mother, to support the family. Um, and it wasn't until I, until I had met this this lady that, you know, she said, why don't you go along and see if you can get in the show? Because she, she'd seen an, an advertisement in the newspaper for singers. And I said, you know, everybody can sing. And she said, well, I can't sing like you can. And this is only having been, you know, to parties and having a few too many and singing along with records or whatever we did at the time. And I was scared to death when I went to audition, of course, because I'd, I remember getting off the um, the tram then in Melbourne and I went to a, Alan's music store. Uh, I didn't know anything about I couldn't read music, certainly, and I just picked out the music, sheet music to bridge over troubled water and um, went along to the audition. There was, I think there were a couple of hundred people there and I was very uh, overwhelmed. In fact, I went for a walk around town because I didn't think I was going to have the uh, courage to, to actually do it. But anyway, in any case, I went there and, and um, I sang the song. I didn't know if it was in the right key for me. I just knew that it was one of my favorite songs. And uh, the producer of the show 
which made me feel much better. She said, oh, that's one of my favourite songs. And I thought, well, that's, that's a bit of an in. And I sang the song, and as usual, they said, they took a Polaroid photo of me and said, we'll give you a call. And, and uh, it was three or four weeks later, they called me back and said, um, we're not sure whether we want to use you. Uh, can you come back again? So I went back again, sang the same song. And then about a month after that, they called me and said, you know, we'd like you to be in the show. And that was uh, amazing. That was amazing to me um, because, you know, once again, I, I, one day I was working in an office and the next day I was in a company of 60 great singers. And uh, as the rehearsals progressed, um, the, the musical director said to me, I want to see you after the rehearsals today. And I thought I was in trouble for something. And uh, I went back to, to the uh, rehearsal room and there was just him and a piano and he said, uh, I want you to I want you to audition for um, a John English uh, understudy. And I said, you're out of your mind, you know, because, <laughs> you know, obviously John was, was a superstar all his life and, and he was the face of Jesus Christ Superstar with him and Trevor White in those days. In any case, you know, he ran me through a few vocal exercises and, um, he said, I think you can do this. So I got the understudy for, for Jesus and I understudied uh, Trevor White, I understudied Jesus, I understudied a couple of other um, minor principal roles. And uh, and quite honestly, I didn't know that I could sing like that. I didn't know I had the vocal range that I did because it never, you know, it, it had never come to my attention. So that was quite a surprise to me. And it wasn't like, oh, I'm great, you know, because I was scared shitless every night especially when I had to play, uh, go out and perform the role of, of, uh, of Julius. I did that quite a bit. Um, John used to say, when I'd done it a few times and he was comfortable with me, he'd say, I'm going to be sick next Tuesday, just, just FYI. <laughs> so he gave me a heads up, um, you know, so I wouldn't be as nervous as I would normally be. But I remember the first time I played Judas, he, got, uh, he fell off the side of the stage during the first act and, and hurt his ankle. And the, um, the uh, director's assistant came in and he said, you know, you're on second half. And uh, I was really, I mean, scared than I've ever been. And I was behind the curtain and the announcer said, uh, ladies and gentlemen, the role of Judas in the second half of the performance would be played by Russell Hitchcock. And I heard so many boos. I mean, I was I was going to I was going to walk off and leave the theater. They were, you know, people were yelling out and do that's bullshit. You know. Anyway, I did it, and uh, it was a learning experience certainly because uh, in the early days of air supply, we got used to being not uh, not received as well as we would have liked to when we did the pub circuits in in uh, Melbourne and Sydney. So, um, you know, it's all good. As they say, what doesn't what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. John English was one of the most diversely talented stars in the history of Australian show business. Unfortunately, he died in 2016. As Russell has mentioned, John was the face of Jesus Christ Superstar. Before landing the role of Judas, he had been a member of the band Sebastian Hardy and would later go on to forge a career on stage as well as being a recording star. John was also a leading man acting in the blockbuster TV miniseries Against the Wind. He also starred in the comedy sitcom Altogether Now. Two of John's biggest hits were Trouble, you don't look back. They won't know you. They won't even 
He also co-wrote and recorded the Against the Wind soundtrack. He had a huge hit in Australia and across Europe with the single Six Ribbons. If I were a minstrel, I'd sing you six love songs To tell the whole world of the love that we share If I were a merchant, I'd bring you six islands With six blood-red roses for my love to wear But I am a simple man a poor common farmer So take my six ribbons To tie back your hair Yellow and brown Blue as the sky Air Supply's songwriter is Graham Russell, the tall one. He immigrated to Australia as an 18-year-old from Nottingham, England. His parents and younger sister had already moved to Australia two years earlier. So when Graham arrived down under, he slipped fairly seamlessly into the Aussie way of life. Prior to auditioning for Jesus Christ Superstar, he was playing in cafes and clubs around Melbourne. The meeting between Russell and Graham would guarantee them a lifelong career in music. Graham has been quoted as saying that Russell's voice brings his songs alive, with Russell never short in his praise of Graham and his skill as a songwriter. As soon as uh, it was evident that Graham and I were you know, going to be the guys that were going to work together because... That that never changed from the very first time we sang together, uh, which was quite spontaneous, um, and it hasn't changed to this day. You know, he's my favourite composer, and uh, I love singing his songs. We we have a tremendous uh, relationship on stage. Uh, you know, we're best of friends. Off, we don't see each other very much when we're not working because he lives in Utah and I live in in Georgia. Um, but it's a great relationship. But, we, you know, nobody could have expected this. And, and uh, the, the fact is he writes something every day. Um, you know, the, the, the adage in music is that you get uh, 15 years to write your first record and you get six months to write the second one. And, uh, you know, he, we, we had the songs, he had the songs. And, of course, we had the, the backing and, and support of Arista Records and particularly Clive Davis. Um, we had arguments with him about songs that we didn't want to record and, and he always said, just, you know, trust me. And of course the song went to number two, number one, number three, number two, number blah, blah. When they found themselves playing to sold out arenas in America, they were match fit and ready to rock. The grinding tours they had done in Australia, crisscrossing the country from gig to gig, had prepared them for a life on the road. We had a great run with them and we were lucky, but we had... We had the talent, and a lot of people don't realise too that we've, you know, we did the work before we had international success. As I said, you know, we dragged our ass around Australia, you know, many times. In fact, we, we, I remember driving once from we played Sydney, and we had a combi van then, and we packed up and drove from Sydney to Adelaide, and set up the the day that we got in and played a couple of shows at the Arkabar Club there, and then we, I think after that, we drove back to Canberra. Um, you know, so anybody that says to us, and they have said it, well, you know, you guys, you didn't really work to be successful because you had success with love and other bruises uh, straight out of the box, which is true. Um, but on the success of that, we worked, we worked super hard. And, and that's one of the reasons why when we first came to the US, or we toured with Rod Stewart, which was, Stewart, which was another great experience to learn and look at a, a superstar, how they perform, how they handle audiences the way they do business, sound, lights, all that stuff. But we were ready to play and we were good enough to, to not compete 
that we were good enough to be on the stage with anybody in the world. And I would do that now. I mean, I, if I could, if I could open for the Rolling Stones, I'd die happy. Russell has always proudly declared both he and Air Supply were Australian. While he now lives in Atlanta, he is an unabashed fan of many of his fellow Aussie entertainers. Those days were great. You know, the first Sunbury. Um, there was so much great music in Australia, and when you first come here, you know, as well, when we toured on our own for the first time in 1980, and, you know, it was all, wow, this is, you know, you're Australian, LRB, it's great. Wow, what happened? And you couldn't convince people that there, there's been so much great music in Australia since the 50s, and they don't get it because, you know, it was never exposed to the world. We were just, you know, uh, what we were called, you know, Aussies, you know, you're from down under, you haven't got a clue. Um, and it's it's funny to see the acceptance of, you know, when the world's opened up with television and, and uh, you know, communications and especially the internet and all that stuff. But so many bands that should have had success outside of Australia didn't, and that's a, that's a big shame. And, and I'm, you know, you're talking about voices before. I, uh, I'm probably the biggest fan of John Farnham of anybody. I think he's got the best voice I've ever heard. And that's, that's tragic that he never, uh, you know, transcended to what he should have in America because, I mean, in my opinion, he leaves everybody for dead. And, uh, of course, he's, you know, he's king of Australia now, which is great, well-deserved. Um, but, you know, that, that's a terrible shame that he didn't get the, uh, the recognition over here that he should have, and worldwide. In 1972, Jesus Christ Superstar came to Australia for the first time. The rock opera was written by Tim Rice and Andrew Lloyd Webber and had previously taken both Broadway and London's West End by storm. The casting call went out far and wide. Auditioning and also making the cast was Graham. In a stroke of luck, both Russell and Graham were seated next to each other backstage in the dressing room and they struck up a friendship on the first day of rehearsals. This was the makings of Air Supply. Singer Chrissy Hemond had originally been part of the Air Supply plan. While circumstances changed and she didn't continue with Russell and Graham, Chrissy would later go on to achieve success in the band Cheetah, sharing lead vocals with her sister Lindsay. Well, you know, we we uh, used to to sing uh, with Chrissy after the shows, and and if we Sunday was our only day off, um, and we'd sing, you know, at universities or anywhere we could just to just to get to sing together. And we we actually um, had the plan mentally to to be a trio because obviously her voice is phenomenal, 
And um, but then I think she she was offered the role of Mary Magdalene in the show, and and that took her away from you know doing as much kind of outside of superstar stuff that Graham and I wanted to do. And also, you know, I, I think her musical tastes weren't quite the same as ours, uh, which is cool. You know, you you like what you like, and you you don't like what you don't like. Early on in their career, Air Supply shared the stage with some fellow legendary Aussie bands. They have all stood the test of time. Well, you know, we we did the rounds, as I said, and we, we were on the same bills as the Radiators and Midnight Oil and the Angels. And in fact, we did a couple of shows, bigger ones, uh, very early on in the bill for ACDC. And um, I mean, I loved them all. I went to the to the uh, I used to go to the Bondi Lifesaver, uh, you know, one of the most iconic venues in Australian rock. Certainly, and I, I went I went to see Billy Thorpe a couple of times there, and the first time I went there, you couldn't move. I mean, it was shoulder to shoulder. You couldn't even if you if you if you had a beer in your hand, you couldn't lift it up to your mouth. It was so jammed. Amongst the first batch of Air Supply songs that Graham had written and they had recorded was "Love and Other Bruises." They recorded the demo during some downtime when they were performing in Jesus Christ Superstar. I think we recorded four or five songs on a demo. Uh, in fact, in the in the orchestra pit in Melbourne. Um, that was one of them, and I can't. I honestly can't remember the other four or five. Uh, maybe Empty Pages was one of them. I'm not sure because that was way, way long ago. But as but, um, I've I've done this a few times with with uh, Graham's very uh, humble about presenting songs to me, certainly. And he said, "What do you think? You know, wrote these songs. We'll record them in the pit, and we'll take them to all the record companies in Australia." And uh, I, I, as soon as he played that to me, I said, this is the hit song. I don't care what anybody says. And um, we went to everybody and everybody rejected us except to Peter Dawkins at CBS, great producer who's passed away, sadly. Um, and he heard that song and he said, this is going to be a monster. And he signed us on the spot uh, for that song. I think we were in on the road about two days after it was released. Um and that was, you know, that was that for us. And it's funny, in those days, we didn't have any material because we were brand new. So I think we, in those days, we played three 30-minute, three 45-minute sets. And so we used to play that song like four or five times <laughs> during the night because we didn't, we, we didn't have enough songs to play. When Russell heard Love and Other Bruises played on the radio for the first time, it was one of those career-defining moments. Um, yeah, it was. I was in, uh, we were in Adelaide, in fact, at that club that I was talking about. It was a club in a pub in Adelaide, and uh, we'd finished the show, uh, and, and Jeremy Paul was in the band then, and we went back to our rooms, and uh, I just put the radio on, uh, and I heard the song, and I went, holy shit, this is amazing. So I called Graham's room, and I said, can you do this? And he goes, yeah, I got it on too, and then like, you know, he called Jeremy or whatever. And uh, it was amazing to hear that a song that you'd recorded uh, being played on on radio. Because I, you know, once again, um, six months before that, I was in, uh, you know, a major theatrical production, never uh, thinking that I'd be in a band uh, and being the lead singer in a band that would have that kind of success out of the box in Australia. The B side to Love Another Bruises was if you knew me.
When the single Love and Other Bruises was released by CBS Records in 1976, it reached number 6 on the National Australian Charts. The group's debut album was titled Air Supply, and it reached number 17 on the album's charts. The recording lineup featured Russell Hitchcock providing vocals, Graham Russell on guitar and vocals, Jeremy Paul with bass and vocals, Mark McEntry on lead guitar, keyboardist Adrian Scott and drummer Jeff Brown. The producer was Peter Dawkins. McEntry and Paul would later join forces to form another legendary Australian band, The Divinals. Okay, that's enough of the tour. Here's Love and Other Bruises by Air Supply. As the time slips through your fingers Till it's almost time to go And the morning breaks between us And the ice melts into snow Didn't have the 
Thanks for listening to Awesome Aussie Songs. Thanks to Russell for your time, and thanks to Air Supply for the music. Hi, this is Molly. You've just listened to a podcast brought to you by Marcos Promotions. Written and produced by my dad, Sheldon the Kangaroo Kip. And presented by Josh Urson. This is Molly Kidd saying to my good friend, Holly Kirsten, Hit it, girl! I've got something to tell you About a place that I've been to And now, now I know The world is so much wider Than I knew And I wanna let you know You gotta throw away your fears You gotta get down here The weather is so Just stop and stare and shout it out